We today are starting a new series. It's called Jesus, Light of the World. Um, in this series, we're going to be working through the first handful of chapters of John, and it's going to lead us all the way up to Easter. And so around this world, billions of people, they call themselves Christians. Jesus had the most profound and earth-transforming legacy anyone had ever lived. And historians and theologians, they stand in agreement on three things, on these three things. No one is more important. No one is more influential. No one is more prominent. No other individual has had more songs sung or written about or even books written or art created or historical studies or non-for-profits founded upon or even schools, universities, and social work founded upon. He is the most influential, prominent, important person in this world. Here's some quotes about him. One says, I'm a historian, I'm not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is, irrevo is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. Non-Christian historian H.G. Wells. Another one, as the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect on history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on the planet. Another historian, Kenneth Scott Latouriette. I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term or of comparison. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. Napoleon. And one more quote for you about this man, Jesus. Christ is the central fact of the world's history. To him, everyone looks forward or backward. All the lines of history converge upon him. All the great purposes of God culminate in him. The greatest and most monumentous fact which the history of the world records is the fact of his birth, which, of course, we come to celebrate today. Not today. But today as Christmas. Charles Hayden Spurgeon. So we're be beginning a new series on this man. I was like, well, don't we talk about him every Sunday? Yes, we do. We love Jesus. We talk about him. But his name is the most important. And with leading up to the cross, we want to proclaim that name. And so the title of this series comes from the scripture in John 18, 8, 12, and it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so we're going to follow the words of this man through the first, I think, eight chapters of John. Why the Gospel of John? John is unique because of its powerful presentation of Jesus as the great creator, God of the universe. It starts right off with such great historical and theological content in verse one, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll get there to, in a sec. But in John, there's so much theology. It's very different than the other Gospels. So the hope is that each week as we return to this gospel, each week as we talk about the gospel of John and see Christ in it, we see that he's a little bit bigger than the last time we came. Have you ever read or watched Narnia? You know what Narnia is? Narnia, there's this line in there. His name's Aslan. He's supposed to portray God. And Aslan says to Lucy, as Lucy comes in, Lucy's one of the characters, he says, welcome, child. Then Lucy replies back. She had seen, met Aslan already. But she's now seeing him again. And she replies, Aslan, you're bigger. 
I was like, thinking, like, did I put on some weight? Like, is it right after Christmas? Like, he's like, I mean, no, he's not, actually. He's like, should I start the keto diet? I don't know what I should do. And Aslan responds to Lucy and says, this is because you are older, little one. Lucy is wondering, wonders this, and it's like, what? Because I'm older? This is not because you are bigger? And Aslan responds with a profound statement. He says, I am not, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. So this is our hope as we come each and every week, that every time we encounter him, every time we talk about him, that we will find him bigger and bigger and bigger. And so, John 1, chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. You can turn your Bibles there, uh, and we're going to start. But this is such a sublime section of Scripture. It is the foundation of what we believe. I, I think of it sometimes, it almost feels like it wraps up the Bible in like 18 verses. There's so much to go through in these 18 verses that I'm not sure how we're going to do it. And so, brought your sleeping bags. We're staying here as long as we can. And we're not. Don't worry. Don't want to scare the guests away. We're not staying here for an hour. <laughs> Anyways, John 1, verse 1 to 3. We're going to start with this first uh, section of scripture. And it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Lots to unpack in here. Let's start with the first, the first explanation of word. We have, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we hear this, and we know that he's talking about Jesus. He's writing about the, the life of Jesus, John is. And so when he says word, he's referring to Jesus. It's like a strange thing to say. Jesus is the word. Like, what, what does he mean, like, Jesus is the word? Is, is he, like, some sort of rap group? Like, word, Jesus, word up, homie. Like, is he, what does he mean by word? In the Greek, and I know sometimes when we say in the Greek, you're like, you lost me. But it, stay with me, in the Greek. In the Greek, it says this in the first verse. In the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. And the Logos was God. Like, what do you mean? Jesus is a logo? Jesus is a, like a, is he a logo? Not this kind of logo. Thank you for laughing at my poor attempt of a joke. <laughs> he is not a logo, but Logos. And here's what Logos means. This is amazing weighted and brilliant word that John used to explain Jesus when he said Jesus is Logos. The Greeks came up with this idea of this word when they looked at the world and they saw nature and with it, and they saw this balance and flow to life. And they, they, say that they saw everything was aligned. They're like, wow, this is amazing. And they stood back and they said this. There had to be some kind of cosmic order behind it. They called this cosmic order Logos. The Greeks said this, what if life has a logos, a divine order? What if it was a design? What if there's a reason to this life? What if we aligned ourselves to that reason? What if we brought, what if it brought us contentment? What if it made us happy? They believe this logos, though, was impersonal. 
and an impersonal power responsible for power and knowledge. And so what's crazy is that 2,000 years later, people are still asking this question. What if there's like a purpose to life? A purpose to what we're doing? And so the Greeks believed this. They believed that if we do not align ourselves with the Logos, then life would be a disaster, be a mess. We'd feel unsatisfied, we'd feel lost, we'd feel discontent. It would be dysfunctional. The life they live would be strained. They would feel just not connected. They would feel stressed. They felt that if they didn't align themselves with the logos, they wouldn't be living out the way they were designed to be. Timothy Keller explains this idea like this. He says, imagine if there's a space heater. And you have this space heater and you decide, you whip it out and you're like, what does this do? And you plug it in and you're like, well, I'm going to cook steak on it, I guess. And so you put your steak on the space heater and it cooks it, I guess. I don't know. I've never tried it. And so if you want to, you can. And he cooks it and he eats it, but maybe the steak is, uh, who knows what it's saturated with, all the rays that have just been pumped into that steak. But maybe it breaks the space heater. Or you're going to take a bath. And you're like, man, this water's cold. I have this space heater. And so I'm going to plug it in. I throw the space heater into the bath. And then it'll warm up the water. This is not going to work. People, someone's going to pass away. He said the space heater has instructions that come with it. The instructions lay out the purpose of the heater. And if you don't align yourself with the purpose of the heater, you can very much be dissatisfied with that product. You don't turn it to the store. It's, it almost killed me, and I, it wouldn't make steak. People would be like, well, duh, that's not what you use a space heater for. So the Greeks said that the universe has a logos, and our lives must be in alignment with the logos if we want our lives to go well. If we want to, we need to figure out the logos and we need to align with it. We need to match up with it. But it couldn't be agreed upon what the logos was. Stoics believe that you should just accept whatever happens in nature. Accept everything. Stiff upper lip. That's one way to have a happy life. Just grin it and bear it. Everything's okay. Epicurean said, find what makes you happy and do it. Isn't this amazing, like, how much this resonates in our culture? Like, these things, things we hear today, just find whatever makes you happy and just do it. You know what? Life is going to happen. Accept everything. You'll find that you'll be okay and you'll be liked. But then John says this, right in the first chapter, first verse, and it speaks to everyone. It says, that there is the Logos. He was there in the beginning. He was with God and he is God. A Trinity statement right off the start. There is a design and it's tangible. It's personal. It's not out there, up in the sky that you try to find, your, find to align with. It is a man. His name is Jesus. He is the Logos. He is our reason. He is the design. Align yourself to him he isn't something you add to your life, but someone that becomes your life. There is a meaning to life, but if you want to align to it, you have to have a relationship with him. You have to know him. And John outlines why he is the Logos, why he is this design, why he is this, this one that they're all looking for. In verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. It's like John is showing them Jesus' resume within the first three verses. 
This is why he is who he is. This is why he is the Logos. And what these first three verses show us is this. They show us the greatness of Christ. The greatness of who he is. When it says Jesus was the word, the word was there. In the Greek, I know here we go back to the Greek, is an imperfect tense. So it reads this. In the beginning was continuing the word. And the word was continuing with God. Someone I heard said it like this in very proper English. Jesus always was, wasn't. Like, what? What do you mean? Jesus always, <laughs> Jesus always was. He always was doing. He's always been there. He always was, wasn't. <laughs> Take it home with you. Write it down in your Bible. I don't know. Jesus always was, wasn't. People are going to be like, what? What school did you go to? Because I'm not sending my kids there. <laughs> Who are your parents? How are they teaching you English? He is great because he knows all. He was there in Genesis 1-1 when it says, in the beginning, and here, in the beginning, connecting. He's always been. He's always was. He always was, wasn't. He's been there from the beginning. Always made through him. He wants to be the logos in our lives. He wants to be the center in our lives. The creator knows the purpose you are created for. He knows the purpose of your life. He knows how you've been created. He knows what you've been created for. And so if you feel distressed, if you feel lost, then Line up with the Logos. We can trust him with everything. He is the creator. I heard a story about this man named Charles Stein Metz. He is a mechanical genius. He had said he could put together an engine in his mind and take it apart in his mind. And so he was a friend of Henry Ford. And so Henry Ford, founder of Ford Products, founder of the Ford Track. For everyone who has a Ford, they're like, yeah. For everyone who has a Chevy, they're like, boo. And so <laughs> Henry Ford... The, the assembly line broke down at the plant, and Ford's men couldn't fix it. And he called Steinmetz, who was a close friend, and he came in, and he tinkered for a few minutes, did a little things, I don't know, unplugged something, plug it back in, hit something with a hammer, and flipped the switch, and everything started running. And then a couple weeks later, the bill comes in, $10,000. Ford thought, Cause sign Mets. He's like, I think that's a bit much just for tinkering. So then a new bill came back in, and on the new bill it read, tinkering, 10 bucks, knowing where to tinker, $9,990. Or $9,990. Jesus knows exactly where we need the tinkering in our lives. He knows exactly what we need in our lives. He is our creator. He knows us. He's created us. He knows how we work. And he's going to come in and just line us up with how he's created us. Have you entrusted your life to him? He is great. He is good. Nothing else makes sense unless you line up with the logos. With him. Now on to our next section. It's a big one. John 1, 4 to 13. And it says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, 
so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was in the world, did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This section, we see the greatness of Christ's love. Right away, he uses these two terms. You could probably pick it up. There was a whole lot of light that was happening. Light, light men, light. And he uses another word called life. Chris talked about the word life, I think about, probably about a month ago when he came up and spoke. And the word for life is Zoe. The word that for life used here is, is Zoe, in which the English words zoo and zoology come from. It refers to life as God has it. It is the essence of life, not limited by time, not hindered by death. But the word zoe actually stands in contrast to another Greek word for life, bios, in which the English word biology is derived from. It refers to the duration of life, one's lifespan, the time between one's birth, and date, birth date and one's death date. Or it refers to the necessity of one's life, one's food, one's shelter, and one's clothing. As a divine gift, the life, Jesus' life, eternal life, became the light that points people to God. And so now John presents the second truth, that Jesus is light. So this life, eternal life, life that is meant to bring, to go beyond our time here on earth. And he connects it to light. Just as John links life with Christ, so he links light with Christ. Just as the first creation began with let there be light, right? And back in, in Genesis, let there be light. So the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of the believer. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world was the dawning of a new day for sinful man. That light was now coming. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The life gives the light. The life Jesus has, and the life he shares with those who follow him, gives us light. And that is this. We were dead and blind to the light. And so the life of Jesus is imparted to us by God's Spirit, and then we see the eyes of our hearts are open and divine light streams into our living spirits. If Jesus is the creator of life, then John is telling the re readers that the life you are looking for is in Jesus. In this life was the light of all mankind was looking for. Life and light. That's a whole lot of uh, that's happening. But the term light would have hit home to the Jews. It would hit home to the people reading it. Because light was a way that the Messiah was described, the one who was coming to save him. They spent their lives hoping for this light to come, hoping to see it. It was said during the Old Testament times that there was a sense of darkness that just kind of floated on the land. But now Jesus came and light would reign. Now there's this the light that shines in the darkness. It says it shines. And that shines means continual. 
Up until this verse in verse 5, everything was spoken of in the past or past continuing. Now it's speaking in the present and moving forward. This reminded me of this picture or this story. Do you know what this is? You can say it out loud. It's not your question. It's a light bulb. Light bulb. We got, it's a light bulb. So it's actually a specific light bulb. Have you ever heard of the centennial light bulb? Have you ever heard of this story? In Livermore, California, it's the world's longest lasting light bulb that is going on right now. You can see in the back there, there's a camera, right? It's, it's in a very important light bulb. And so this light bulb was manufactured by the Shelby Electric Company in the late 1890s in Shelby, Ohio. I'm not sure if it's still going on, but I mean, if they're making this light bulb last this long, the business, I guess they couldn't be rolling in the dollars because they made a light bulb that lasts this long. But this light bulb has been running since 1901. It has not stopped. It has actually, there's festivals that happen now. This is weird. For, like, you're just like, oh, the light bulb lasted another year. When I heard this verse that he's shining continuously, it made me think of this light bulb. There's something about light that just draws people, especially if you're a moth. Some people got it. Amen. The light of the word made flesh. The one who was in the beginning with God, the one who is God in the flesh, his victory over darkness, as seen most fully in his crucifixion and subsequent resurrection, is continuing to shine on. Shining longer than this light has ever shined. Shining for all to see. I heard this story in World War World II. During the blackouts in London, on a clear night, a lighted match on top of a hill can be seen for 20 miles. Something just attractive about light. But the light shines on. No more darkness. It is now shining. There's something about light that causes us to see differently. To see differently. To see something. The light now is giving us the ability to see that Jesus is the life. The logos we have been looking for. The light of the world. John asserts in the previous verses that Jesus is true light. The true light that the darkness cannot overcome was coming in flesh and blood. The true light that would point all mankind to the life as God knows it was appearing in person. The true light that would dispel the darkness of sin and death was coming to visit this planet. The light of the world. The light that will shine longer than this one. You know what the, great, the crazy thing is? As we read it, they said they would be rejected. They rejected him. Like they didn't have like marquees or advertisements during this time or direct mail or banners. But they had warning. God had told them over and over many times in many ways. The great man of the Bible, prophets and the like, had publicized and foretold this coming. Every book in the Old Testament talked about the coming of this Messiah, the coming of light. He's coming. Every book, every chapter, every page. The whole theme of the Old Testament that God would one day send the Messiah to the earth to deliver his people Israel. As good of the news as that is, there was the bad news. 
John informs us, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive them, him. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this verse this way. He was in the world, and the world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. They rejected him. The light of the world. Made flesh, the one who was in the beginning, with God, the one who is God in the flesh, his victory over darkness was rejected. He was rejected by those who would have been just incinerated, destroyed, if he didn't come. He was rejected by those whom he spoke into existence from his word. His own people, the people chosen by God to prepare the rest of the world for the Messiah, even rejected him. Even after all this, he is still the light that wants to shine in the lives of everyone and continues to seek his way into our lives. His love is amazing. It is great. It is unbelievable. I'm just going to close with these last verses. And the worship team, they can come up and prepare as we close. And then we'll take communion. John one fourteen to 18 says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have received all receive grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is his close, in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. When Jesus came, he closed the gap. The word for dwelling is also called tabernacled. Tabernacles, temples, was a place where heaven was brought to earth, a place where we can align ourselves with Christ. John explains that when Jesus became flesh and dwelt in the midst of humanity, men and women saw his glory and characterized as, as this, full of grace and truth. John described this experience in this way. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Where grace upon grace and even more grace. Some translations read it like this, grace following grace. Grace heaped upon grace to show that grace will continually and always, always flow. For those without grace, I heard Martin Luther say this, or I didn't hear him, <laughs> that'd be cool, but I read it. Martin Luther said that even if all people were to draw upon this fountain of grace and truth to transform them all into angels, still we would not lose as much as a drop. This fountain constantly overflows with sheer grace. So what he is saying is that grace will never, ever, ever stop. We can never tap that well dry. Grace upon grace. Grace following grace. Grace continuing grace. Grace heaped upon grace. And for those of us who don't know Christ, I'm not sure. I don't know everybody here. 
Grace is readily available. Paul said, but where sin increased, grace abound all the more. There is more than enough grace to cover all of our sins and then give you an overflowing. Before we enter in communion, I want to close with this. I mentioned in the beginning that this scripture is essentially, it feels like the Bible just, or this passage just encapsulates the Bible in like 18 verses. This scripture is actually calling us into union with the word, the Logos, who made you. And when you come into this union, you find life. When those dark places in your life, light is now shined upon it. It is saying you can come back to him. Come to him. The result of this reunion will be more than human existence. It will be human life. You were made by him. You were made for him. And on earth, nothing will satisfy you until you come into union with the living God. For some, you maybe feel like you've searched for this light. You're searching for this, you're searching for this purpose. You feel like you've been walking in darkness. For some, you feel like, yeah, I know he is God, but I cannot come to him. I don't deserve it, or I've done too much harm. I've done too much in my past. But the great thing is, is there's grace upon grace, grace following grace, grace heap upon grace. That well will never run dry. You can always come to him. You've never been too far or have done anything to draw him away from you. I feel like it would be an injustice to the scripture to recognize that there's redemptive power in it. And there is an opportunity for, to accept him into our lives if you haven't ever before. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to close in prayer. And if this has urged you, if you're like, I've been searching, yeah, I need to find and align with this logo. So I'm tired of running away. I know he is God, but I don't feel like I, could always, any, I couldn't come to him because I've ran away from him. There is grace for you. Grace upon grace upon grace. And so as I, we close our eyes and we bow our heads, I'm going to pray a prayer. And this prayer, you can repeat it silently to yourself. And it's saying, I come to you. I want to align with the creator God. I accept you into my life. And what do you do after is this. If you've said that prayer, you need to tell someone. If you've come with somebody, you, come, you talk to them. I've just accepted Christ into my life. I'm done running away. Or if you didn't come with anybody, you come talk to me. I've just said that prayer. I've accepted him. The creator God, the logos, I'm aligning with him. He's bringing now light into your life. You are now a child of God. So let's bow our heads. Repeat after me if you're saying this for the first time. Jesus, I accept you as the true God. I invite you into my life and I lay down what everything I have to you. Forgive me of my sins and thank you for your grace upon grace upon grace. 
that covers those sins. I choose to follow you and to live a life that shows who you are.